Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's corner three on a Tuesday morning. Presented as always by our friends at MacDyne. Hello, Scott Christofferson. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's been a it's been a busy summer uh, so far. Obviously, lots of movement uh, across the Big Twelve as far as rosters and things like that. We're not going to have an interview today. Uh, we do hope to have one uh, next week. Working on getting that lined up and um, being able to get another one of the Cyclones onto the podcast and talk with him. Uh, but for today, we're just going to talk about where things stand after uh, the wild and crazy, the wild west of the transfer portal. Uh, by my count, there were 28 transfers who have joined Big 12 rosters. Uh, there were 40 <laughs> players who transferred out. Uh, and that's and then there's been plenty of dish additions, obviously, as, as far as freshmen uh, and and. Juco that's guys a lot of announcements like so. on Twitter. That's, that's that is a lot of announcement thought. cards on Twitter. A lot of paragraphs to be read. Yeah, lots of paragraphs to be read. Uh, lots of kids who probably entered their name into the NBA draft and elected to return because no one was interested in them going to the NBA <laughs> this time. Uh, but hey, you know we we've, we've got it shaken out. It's a, it's all done at, at this point, I think, uh, and it the league still looks really good, man. So uh, that's just about what you can always expect at this point, I think. But uh, I figured we could run through some of the the big moves that have taken place here. Uh, we can run through the power rankings that I did yesterday um, and just kind of talk about some of these schools, some of the guys that are coming back uh, and where things stand at that point. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. All right. So let's, we'll go through my, my power rankings uh, first. Uh to no surprise of anybody, I've got Kansas at number one. Uh, obviously, the class of the league, the defending national champions, got some big news when Jalen Wilson decided to return for a, another season in Lawrence. Uh, they bring back Dewan Harris, who hit the game winner against Iowa State at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, and, of course, I mean, as with you're always going to get with Bill Self, they've got a top-five recruiting class. So uh, the, the Jayhawks have just reloaded despite – losing some of the key players from their national championship run, Dave McCormick, Ochag Baji, uh, Christian Brown. I mean, they're going to be really good again. I think that they've got to be the favorites going into this season. Yeah. And I, I mean, Bill self is as uh, good as there is of getting like every year. I remember when I played and it's been this way for as long as he's been there, he gets guys to buy in. Some of the guys you just mentioned will be like eight, 10 point game guys fifth, sixth, seventh guy in the roster. And then, okay, Christian Brown leaves, uh, Obagi leaves. And you're like, oh man, you know, how is this? And they always come back and those guys will be the cream of the crop in the league next year. He's just as good as there is a player development. And and for a, for a program that gets as many, you know, four and five-star recruits as Kansas does, as, as Kansas does. So they're kind of an always, always an easy pick in my opinion, for that reason. I think that you've got to have a lot of respect for the way that they, can recruit and recruit at a high level and not have people transfer out all the yeah. time. You know, obviously they did have add Kevin McCuller, who was one of the best players in the league last year at Texas tech, just a really solid all around player average 10 points a game for the, the red Raiders was a big piece of, of why they were one of the best teams in the league. But then they've got these guys who were freshmen last season that didn't really play very much. Uh, KJ Adams played a little, a little bit against Iowa state. Uh, but then Bobby Pettiford, Pettiford and, and Zach Clements, both guys that were uh, kind of sitting out and just waiting their turn. Like 
it's it speaks to the culture that they've got. I think when you don't have people that are going into the portal, despite the fact that they know they're probably not going to be a star for two or three years, you know, like that's, that's all culture right there. Guys that want to buy into it and stay and keep battling. Yeah. I think we talked about that too, right after they won the national title. I mean, you know, a lot of the blue blood programs I feel like are good now because they just, they kind of reload and it's always one or two year guys and they get them in and get them out. And then it's a new batch of them. And, Bill Self just seems to have really kind of mastered the art of getting those top flight recruits to come in or top flight transfers. But then, you know, they don't just necessarily have immediate success where they're the, you know, 20 point a game or 18 point a game first team all league guys. Sometimes they got to wait two or three years, but they don't lose many of those guys. And typically the guys that they have lost, I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head. Maybe you can that have gone on other places to, you know, just blow up or something like that and have a big year. So, I mean, they've just, they've got it going on down there. Um, have had it going on down there for a long time. I think Bill Self is as good of a college basketball coach as there is. As, as much as that pains me to say, because, you know, I know they're a rival of ours, but uh, I, I do appreciate the way they do it. Trying to think, Quentin Grimes was a guy who left there, who went to Houston and ended up having a pretty – Okay. Solid career. I mean, I wouldn't say that he didn't become an all American or anything like yeah. that, but he was a guy who like was a big piece of their team that went to the final four a couple years ago. So I, like, I, I guess that counts, but I don't, I, you're right. Like there's not really anybody who leaves Kansas and all of a sudden becomes a superstar, you know, Charlie oh, Moore man. was solid for Miami as we found out in the, uh, in the sweet 16 this past season. But uh, no, I mean, it's just, it's impressive what they've been able to do. I think it would be right. hard to pick anybody else. Right. That's enough. Nice things said about Kansas yeah. for the summer. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's on. Good point. <laughs> uh, all right. I've got Baylor at number two, uh, a veteran core that they have coming back. Uh, LJ Cryer, Adam Flagwa, Flagler, uh, Jonathan Chamwachachua and Flo Thamba. Obviously those last two were both banged up a lot during this last season. Uh, and that really hurt them. I felt like uh, as they got into the tournament, they were not the same team. Uh, when they were playing in the CAA tournament that they were, you know, especially when we watched them play in, in Hilton Coliseum and uh, lost Matthew Meyer to the transfer portal. He's going to Illinois. Uh, they did bring in Jalen Bridges, who was a, a solid player at West Virginia the last two years. And they're bringing in Keontae George, who's a top 10 recruit in the country. They had one of the best recruiting classes in the country, as you can expect again from, uh, from the Baylor Bears. But I think that that, veteran group that they've got the four guys who are still there from the national championship team. Those are the ones who are going to be carrying the significant portions of the load, I would think for this team. And and when you've got four guys who have played a ton of basketball together and played at a really high level, you've got a recipe to have a really good basketball team, you know, especially in college basketball in 2022. Yeah. And I, again, I think Scott drew has done a really good job of, you know, that's a program I would say outside of Kansas. I mean, they're probably the next in line as far as the big 12 hierarchy of, you know, best run and built most consistent programs. And, and yeah, they get really good recruits, but I think you got to give Scott Drew a lot of credit. He does a good job of getting those guys to buy in and developing them. And um, those two are probably the, uh, the, the, the model programs that everybody else is trying to, to catch up to and emulate in the big 12. And I expect they'll have an, another really good team next year. Those two teams will probably be preseason top 10 type mm -hmm. of teams that are potential preseason national championship type picks. Uh, I think that both of those teams will be really, really good. Uh, all right. Number three, I have Texas. Uh, 
this one is hard to peg. I think a little bit. There's a lot of a lot of factors that go into uh, into pegging how good Texas is going to be in basketball, as we as we know. Uh, this has been a, a yearly thing where they've got on paper maybe the most talented team in the league. It's just how well can it all come together? Yeah. Let's talk about Tyrese first. Uh, obviously, Tyrese Hunter going to to Texas. Uh, I am interested to see what he looks like playing next to Marcus Carr, who was an up and down player. I think you could say uh, in his first season in Austin, uh, it probably didn't go quite how everyone expected it to. They were a preseason top five team, a team that people thought could could compete to go to the final four, win the national championship and never really got close to that level. What does it look like when you've got those two guys who need the ball in their hands a lot to really be successful and they've got to share it? You know, that's going to be the one thing that I think will be really interesting to follow during that non-conference state, because I just, I don't know how that's going to shake out. It's not very often that Texas has a bunch of guards that are like, man, how do they share the basketball with all these really good players? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fit together. I think, I think the Texas is a better fit for Tyrese than KU would have been. Bill self is a pretty structured guy as far as how he wants to run stuff. I think the more that Tyrese can be allowed to get up into people and do what makes him special on the defensive end of the floor. And then, you know, creating space for him to attack, you know, patches of the court with his speed and quickness on the offensive end of the floor, I think is going to benefit him. I, so I, you know, it's disappointing, right? We all thought Tyrese was coming back and going to have this stellar career in Ames and, and it's just, you know, it's disappointing to lose him, but then to lose him to Texas, you know, stings just a little bit more. I think the biggest, like for me, seeing what Texas had last year, like they've got, they had some guys that were impressive, but there was nobody that I watched and was like, you know, that guy's a a surefire pro or a guy that, you know, is going to put a program on his back and lead him to the elite eight or final four. I think the interesting thing about Tyrese and having some time to think about it, having watched him every game his freshman season, he's a really interesting prospect to me because he has some major deficiencies in his game. And I don't say that to throw shade on him again, knowing his story and watching what he did at Iowa state. I wish him, I hope he's an all American next year, just not in the two games we played them. But he's he does not dribble with his left hand at the level most college point guards do. Mm-hmm. He's a below average shooter. If he cleans those two things up, he could be a guy that makes Texas compete for a Big 12 championship next year as a first team all conference guard, you know, maybe even a you know, second, third team all of American all of American all American type of guy. But if he doesn't improve those things, I do think his game will level off because people will just They'll shade him to the left side of the court. They'll go under every screen. He'll always be special and able to impact the game with the speed and quickness because that's just like he's like 0.0001% elite there. But to me, the thing that I'm kind of the most interested in following him a little bit is just how much of his left hand and jump shot can he improve upon from last year to this year? Because to me, if he does that, he becomes incredibly dangerous. If he doesn't, he'll always have a role and he'll always be able to make an impact but I do think how much people are projecting he will take a program forward will be capped if he can't clean those two parts of his game up. And I'll I'll attest to what you said that like, we would have said those same things if he'd come back to Iowa state, you know, like those are the things that we talked about all season that he needed to get better at, you know, if if he was going to be a a guy who was 
going to level up from where he was at as a freshman. I mean, Chris Beard does a good job of developing people, you know, like all, at least that's been his track record over the last several years. Uh, they do bring back Timmy Allen as well, who might've been their best player down the stretch of the season. Uh, and then they bring in a top five recruiting class uh, as you can always expect from, from Texas, but it just feels like having Carr and Tyrese, like that's a lot of cooks in your kitchen. You know, I'm just, that's just what I, I, that would make me nervous about Texas. I think is just how well can those two guys coexist, you know? Well, and, and also how much will each one of them buy into, you know, like when you don't have the ball and you're not the pli- primary playmaker, you know, you see this in the NBA too, with some of these guys who are really good one-on-one players, but then all of a sudden the play isn't for them and they really struggle to fit in within the offensive concept. And I think for those guys to really mesh and that to work, whoever the isn't the primary handler and playmaker on each individual possession, like if for Tyrese, for example, like if he doesn't develop his jump shot, well, I'm just not going to guard him. And I will just use his guy to kind of shade towards car and, and mm-hmm. take away what he's doing and just do a soft closer type Tyrese. Now, if he shoots it at a 35% clip when he's standing still, that's going to make those guys really difficult to, to guard in that setting. So you know, that's uh, I, I again, I, I'm not trying to pick apart Tyrese's game. I think what I gave was just a very honest assessment of yeah. what he did as a freshman. And then being like, you know, I still will follow him a little bit and keep tabs on him and will be rooting for him. I just am curious to see how much of that he improves upon. All right. At number four, my favorite team, I think, to talk about in all of college basketball uh, during this offseason. I got the TCU Horned Frogs uh, return all six all of their top six scores from last year's team that came really close to beating Arizona and going to the sweet 16. Uh, Mike miles is coming back all big 12 guard average 15 points a game. Damian Baugh decided to come back uh, after putting his name into the NBA draft. They added a transfer from Oklahoma state who will kind of round out that backcourt. Emmanuel Miller and Chuck O'Bannon are both back. And then of course uh, the best all around center in the big 12, big Eddie, uh, big Eddie Lampkin. Uh, it's coming back and going to be a load in the middle. I think if you wanted to, like if you were a betting man and you wanted to put a futures bet on the big 12 champion and you want to get some value, it's got to be TCU dude. Like when you've got a veteran roster like this, everybody that you're going to have in your rotation has played in the big 12 has been through the rigors of the big 12 has played in huge games, has won huge games. That's a recipe for a team that could surprise some people. Like I think TCU could legitimately win their first big 12 championship this year. I agree. Especially if Eddie, you know, we, I think there was a lot made of what he did with his body from when he showed up on campus to last year. You know, if he's able to take another big step forward, as far as just leaning himself out a little bit and his conditioning continues to improve as well as his skill level and, you know, all the things that come along with just more experience Mm -hmm nobody is going to have an answer to defend him one-on-one. And then you, you've got an all, all big 12 guard point guard to, to boot. It just becomes two guys that you can put in pick and rolls. You can throw the ball down to him on the block. And you're, you're kind of always caught in the spot of like, we can't guard him one-on-one. So who are we going to try to cheat off of? And, and Jamie Dixon's a good coach. They'll defend, they'll rebound. They'll be tough. I'm with you. I mean, I, if I were to put a hundred bucks down on a team and want to maximize the value of my bet, that would be the team I would pick as well. Uh, my only concern, I want to know that big Eddie is in the gym this summer, not just out playing football with the TCU football team, 
not out at the TCU baseball games, doing those things. I, I hope that Big Eddie is in the gym working on his game too, not out just the, out having fun. Because it seems like he's been on the Big Eddie tour a little bit here, uh, really since their game against Arizona got over. Like it seems like every week there's some, Eddie's out there doing something, you know, throwing out the first pitch at the baseball game, uh, all that kind of stuff. I want to know he's in the gym getting that well, work in. To your point, I mean, if he if he is in the gym and he does take that next jump forward, I mean, he'll be a first team all league player next year. And I, I'm sure they'll be he'll be, I mean, he's a really likable personality. He's a big yeah. man. Like the media will be all over him and, and their team will be dynamic. Now, if he just kind of is the same or takes a small step back because he's a little distracted, um, then all of a sudden TCU becomes a lot less scary of a team, even though they've got a lot of other returning players. He he's the piece that you know, could make them into a team that nobody wants to see in the NCAA tournament next year. I was going to say the cut, he's the kind of player that hardly anybody has someone that you can match him with, you know, like most teams have the guards, most teams have the wings like that. You can really give people trouble, but there's so few really high quality big men, you know, like, and he's the kind of guy that, you know, if he makes a leap could become a all American type of guy at the college level. Uh, so that'll just be what's interesting to follow with them. Uh, Texas Tech is at number five for me. I don't know that there was – there's only been one other team in the league that was hit harder by the transfer portal than them. Uh, obviously, you know, we talked about Kevin McCuller with uh, going to Kansas, but uh, uh, Terrence Shannon is gone. Uh, they lost a couple other guys. Uh, they lost a bunch of guys to graduation. Um, but they do bring back Kevin O'Banner. Clarence Nadolny is a guy that we saw how good he can be when he's playing really well. And then they have the number one transfer class uh, in the country, according to 247. Bring in Davion Har- uh, Harmon from Oregon, who was a big-time scorer. Uh, okay, I'm going to try and say this name. Fardaz Amok from Utah Valley was the nation's leading rebounder last year and was one of the best shot blockers in the country. Just what Texas tech needs is a dynamic big man to anchor that in that impenetrable defense. Uh, they've got a lot of new pieces to mesh, but I think that they, I mean, they had a lot of new pieces to mesh last year too. Mark Adams did a pretty good job of getting that team to come together. They're going to be a scary group again, you know, because you know exactly what their mentality is going to be. You have to wonder, is the scoring going to be able to keep up at the pace that that you would hope for it to, for them to really have that high-end potential? But you know they're going to defend at an elite level, and they're going to be terrifying because everyone is going to be six foot five. Everyone's going to be built like a, a brick house, and they're just going to beat the shit out of you every single night. Yes. I Well, and, you know, if you think about their team last year, I don't – nobody was that high on them coming into the season. I mean, I think no. they were ranked like around 25th. But I remember watching them play in a preseason tournament. I want to say they were playing Oregon in that preseason tournament. I could be wrong. And I'm watching them and I'm just like, man, like these guys are, they're long, they're athletic, they're physical, their rotations are super solid. And, uh, you know, they lost a lot of guys, but, you know, we saw what Mark Adams could do last year with the new team. And and I, based off of what you're telling me about, you know, I'll trust two, four, seven sports rankings. I mean, it, they're probably a team that'll be ranked fifth or sixth coming into the season, but uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we're midway through February and talking about them being a two or a three seed in the big 12 mm-hmm. tournament. I mean, I, I was really impressed with Mark Adams last year. I think you were as well. Um, you know, just didn't work out their way in the tournament, but I, I thought they had as good a shot as anyone at making a deep run out of the big 12. They got a really bad draw uh, to be able to make a long run in the tournament, obviously having to play Duke 
in the in the Sweet 16 was a tough one. But uh, I think that any of those five teams, I could probably be convinced that they belong, you know, number one or like up there in that top conversation. I don't know. Uh, obviously, Kansas, I was pretty solid on that one. But I, I think that someone could convince me or make a convincing argument that someone else should be higher. Uh, and I think it's these next it's six and seven, I think are pretty close as well, where it's like, you could convince me that they should be flipped. Uh, I put Oklahoma at number six. Uh, they're bringing back both Tanner and Jacob Groves, who were obviously such a focal point of everything they did last year, uh, ran basically everything through Groves. And then they brought in Grant Sherfield, who's averaged 19 a game last year at Nevada was, uh, is a two-time all uh, mountain West player. And, Porter Mosher is a good coach. So when you've got key guys like that, that you can bring back and obviously such crucial pieces, they lost some key guys in the backcourt and on the wing. But I think that having your centerpiece coming back feels really crucial for them. And that's why I gave them the edge over Iowa state in that sixth spot. And, and Tanner is it's Tanner Groves is the more prominent player, yeah, right? Yeah. So I mean, when you have a big guy that you can, put on the block, but also he can come away from the basket with the way that Porter Mosier coaches and the way he runs offense. I mean, that's just, we saw that at Oklahoma, the first game we played them. Um, That's a really difficult thing to contend with at times. It just opens the floor for everybody else. And then you add a kid from Nevada who, you know, there's something to be said for having a guy who knows how to go out and get you 18 or 19 in a college game, a guy that can go get you baskets when you're coming down the last four or six minutes of closing the game. Um, yeah, I, again, might as well already start drafting up the articles about the gauntlet that the Big 12 is going to yeah. be again next year, because I know that there's a lot of new faces and it'll take some time for them to all mesh together around the different teams. But you've got a lot of really good coaches and uh, a lot of talent uh, coming into the league again. And having a guy who averaged 19 points a game, even in the mountain West, like the mountain West is a solid league. You know, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at 19 to average 19 a game. If, if there was, I mean, there couldn't have been made more than maybe one or two guys in the big 12 who averaged 19 a game last year. Like that's, and you can't expect him to come in and be a 19 point a game guy in the big 12, probably, but he could be a 15 point a game guy, you know, like that's, that's a really solid player. He's a guy you can run offense through, whether he's on the ball or off it in crunch time. And he knows how to play. He knows how to get baskets or make the right play for somebody else. And, you know, the, the teams that have those types of players come tournament time. That's why they always say guards are, you know, it's all about the guards. Once you get into tournament play, that's what they mean. It's, it's having guys you can run stuff through that can play under pressure and either make the right play for themselves or create something easy for a teammate. And, uh, like I said, you know, you mix that in with a big man who can, you know, kind of play anywhere on the offensive end of the court and a really good offensive coach. Uh, they'll be tough to contend with. All right. Talk about Iowa State. I have them at seven. The reason that I have them here is, you know, we know that they're going to be able to defend. Even The guys that they brought in, we know are all going to buy in on that defensive end. My concern, and this is going to be everybody's concern or should be everybody's concern with this team, the consistent scoring punch. I just, I, I don't know where it's going to come from yet at this point, like we know what Gabe Kalsher can do when Gabe Kalsher is playing really well, but can Gabe Kalsher play well on a night in and night out basis? Because he wasn't able to do that this past year. Uh, can Jaron Holmes make some sort of leap and be an Isaiah Brockington type all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. like what can you get from Oshun on the block? Can he be a guy who can get you a bucket if you throw it to him in the post? Like, I just don't think we know enough about 
these guys right now and what they're going to be able to do offensively to feel really comfortable putting them into that same class as some of those other teams at this point, even though, like I said, I feel really confident they're going to be able to defend. Are they going to be able to score? We don't know, you know? No. And last year at this time, we would have said the same thing with probably a less optimistic outlook on the roster. So sometimes like we saw with Isaiah last year, you know, the guy gets an opportunity, just hasn't had somewhere else. And all of a sudden he becomes, uh, you know, a guy you can go to get you baskets late in the game. You know, the thing that I thought really held back last year's team offensively, that is my biggest concern for this roster going into next season as, as it stands today. There's nobody that we've seen prove that they can be the alpha playmaker and make the game easy for everybody else. And, you know, that's kind of like the equivalent, in my opinion, in football. Like when you have a wide receiver that the other team just has to double all the time, it just makes everybody else's job a little bit easier because they, they all they got to do is beat one guy, right? But when you don't have that and then they can just play two shell safeties over the top, all of a sudden it makes everybody else's job a little bit harder. And there's no one that the coach or the quarterback can go to, to kind of like, Hey, we need this third down Devonte Adams, bail me out. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my biggest concern for this team. Now, you know, the, the point guard on temple could emerge as that guy going from his first to second year, like a, like a playmaker that just, you know, uh, with his size and length makes the game easy for everybody else. Or, uh, the, the guard from St. Bonaventure, the wing, like all of a sudden he could be that guy last year, Isaiah could get baskets for himself, but he wasn't a guy that I thought made the game easy on everybody else. And Tyrese at times did that, but then there would be times where, you know, he was a freshman, right? So it was just a lot to throw on him. So that's, if you want to be a team that can consistently get over 65 in the big 12, you have to have that guy. And he's probably most likely going to be, a guard. And I mean, if, if you're a big man that can do that, you're going to be a top 10 pick in the draft next year. So that's my biggest concern. All the other things I like way more about this team than I liked about last year's team, even in March of last year. Like I think on the front line, they're going to be more athletic, more physical, better shot blocking. They'll rebound above the rim better. You've got Jazz coming back, who's got another year to get acclimate himself into TJ's, you know, offense and defense. He's a great kind of, uh, you know, versatile four-man. I really like what they've done at the uh, at the the center position and the power forward position. I think they'll they'll score more around the basket. Like last year, there were just a lot of times where we would create something for somebody down there and they would blow the bunny. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see more of those next year be dunks and layups above the rim. At the guard position, to me, i that's where I kind of look and say, man, it would be nice to have one more piece because Gabe, when Gabe is on, we know what he's capable of. But to your point, can Gabe become a guy that we can consistently rely on to shoot 33 35% and score 10 points a game? Can Kayla be a guy that can consistently score seven, eight points a game and shoot 35 to 38%? Both of those guys last year when they were on were really on, but then you wouldn't hear from them for two, three, four games. That, Based off of what I think they have on the roster right now, they don't need either of those guys to be 15-point-a-game guys, but they can not They can ill afford to have those two players have zero points or two points right. on 0 for 6 shooting or 1 for 8 shooting. 
and consistently probably get to that nut that 65 number that that I think they'll need to get to to win you know 50 percent or a little over 500 of their games yeah and I think like I feel a lot better about this roster going into last or into this year than I did last seasons I think our expectations have just risen though you know (laughs) like you it we're going to nitpick this team more probably than we did last year, just because it's like, you know, more about some of these guys and it's easier to understand like, okay, we know what their shortcomings were last year. How do you get over that hump and not let it become like a trend where this is going to be a thing every year that you're going to have just inconsistent scores. And you might have nights where you're going to score 41 points. You know, how do you get where your team is not going to score 41 points on any given night? Because you're not, that just is, it really hamstrings you if you want to be able to compete to go back to the NCAA tournament. And I think if you're going to be seventh in the big 12, you're probably a bubble team. That's like what Oklahoma was last year, you know, and Oklahoma obviously ended up on the wrong side of the bubble and went to the NIT. Like, how do you get back over that hump? How Someone has to be able to take steps forward that are going to get them to that next level where you can be a really consistent score. So I don't know, man, it'll be interesting to, to watch. I'm interested to talk to some more of these guys and just hear how the summer is going, because I, I think that they, there's just you they've come to a point now it's not very realistic to think you're going to add like a difference maker out of the portal you know (laughs) someone just has to do it you know someone just has to make that step forward and make a jump and uh i don't know it'll be fun to to follow jump from you know three or four players you know what i mean it's uh three or four players that have been eight to ten point a game guys become 12 to 14 or whatever and, and then just take those. And I, and to be honest with you, I would love to be proven wrong. Like I hope we're sitting here next year at this time talking about the Isaiah Brockington 2.0 or Tyrese Hunter 2.0. But I think more realistically for this team to be that team that doesn't have those 40 point stinker games, it's going to have to be a collective effort where all of these pieces just get a little bit better throughout the summer. I think that's more, I honestly, I think that's probably more realistic expectations from the fan base. I don't think, some of the guys that came back from last year's team are all of a sudden going to emerge as 16, 17 point no. guys the way that Isaiah did last year. It's like, you need, you need like five guys who average between nine and 14 points. And I think TJ would love to have that type of offense too. Cause it is a little bit harder to guard when it can be a number of players on any given night. Right. When you were talking about the receivers, you were, I, I knew you were talking about your green Bay Packers. Uh, did you see yesterday Alan Lazard finally signed his contract? Going to hopefully report to team activities here soon. He's going to be receiver one, man. No, ready. he won't, but he, I, I love Alan Lazard. I love his game. I mean, he's perfect for what they love to do. He's great at blocking. He's selfless, does all the dirty work. And I think he'll get more opportunities, uh, I mean, I don't think he'll ever be a, a true NFL number one receiver. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I, I'm super happy that he's back because he he's one of my favorite Packers and has been since I think he came on the scene like three or four seasons ago. Yeah, well, he had that big game against Detroit on a Monday night uh, yep. a couple of years ago after uh, Rodgers had, had really vouched for him. I don't know, man. They don't got anybody to throw the ball to. Somebody's got to be receiver one. Devontae Adams is gone. Marquez like, like we talked about with this team, there's going to be a, a whole slew of opportunities. And uh, I will tell you, I've watched this team for a long time. There's a lot of regular season games where the whole Devontae Jordy Nelson thing yeah. works. And then we get into the playoffs and we play against the better defenses. And all of a sudden those Didn't guys are 10 catches and 160 yards and two touchdowns. And 
uh, all of the Packer fans are crying in their beer in February. So I, I'm hopeful that we run the ball a little bit more and are a little bit more of a well-rounded offense. How'd you feel about Devonte saying that Derek Carr is just as good as Aaron Rodgers? What do you, what do you think of that? You know, I never underestimate what people are willing to tell themselves to get a little bit of sleep at night. So yeah, I mean, I, I love Devonte, all-time great Packer, no bad blood, but, uh, he's delusional if he actually thinks that. It's about like uh, like Tyree Kill saying that Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. Uh, oh, yeah, that, no, that had I mean, me laughing. I, agree. I mean, it, like I said, uh, it, sure. Whatever, man. Uh, <laughs> whatever you say, I guess. Yeah. Uh, all right, number eight, I had Oklahoma State. Uh, another team that got hit pretty hard by uh, the portal. Isaac Likely uh, going to Oklahoma, or going to Ohio State. Went from one OSU to the other. Uh, probably not confusing at all, but uh, Avery Anderson was big for them to get back. We know how good he is. I think he scored 30 against Iowa State in that overtime game down in Stillwater. Uh, but man, that I just they brought back Bryce Thompson, who was their number three scorer. Uh, this will be a tough one. I think we're gonna find out how good Mike Boynton is as a coach, which I think he's really, really good. So it wouldn't shock me if they ended up being better than I think they will. How long are they under those sanctions? Oh, they're back. They're back up now. Back, okay. They're good. Okay. Yeah. Good to go. They can get back into the turn. They were probably a tournament team last year uh, by the end of the season, right on the verge. I think right I on the like bubble. If you won six games in the big 12. You were in the conversation. <laughs> well, It's hard to win in the league, Scott. I don't know. I'm not aware. I watched <laughs> you it get- all. You get six wins in the league. You got six tier one wins all of a sudden, you know, no, like I, that, I, I know. Yeah. But uh, no, Oklahoma state will be interesting. It, it, I, I just don't know how, how much talent they've got. Uh, West Virginia, same thing. Like, I don't know. They brought back Emmett Matthews who played at West Virginia for three years and then went to Washington for one year. And then now is back at West Virginia. Uh, I don't know how that works where he can transfer back and, and play right away. But Whatever, I guess. Uh, hey, he really was always a mountaineer. He was. He. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him a pass on his uh, his card that he probably put out. I'll, I'll always be a mountaineer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they brought in Trey Mitchell, who is like one of the funniest recruits, I think, uh, out there right now. Jeff Goodman, like really, for some reason, is always bashing on him and whoever his handler is. Like, for some reason, he he's, like, really targeted that kid. But he averaged, like, 18 a game at UMass and then hardly played at all at Texas last season. Uh, I'll be interested to see what, what it looks like with him. But, uh, man, West Virginia has had two teams in the last four years, I think, that's had a sub-500 record. So it's, like, to get back into even contention would be a significant upgrade, I think, for them uh, at this point. And it, I think overhaul of talent was probably not a bad thing. And then Kansas state did. I feel bad for Kansas state right now. Uh, they fired my guy, Bruce Weber. Uh, everyone left. I think they had 12 guys transfer out. Uh, they bring back two people. One of them was their second leading score or third leading score last week or last season. Uh, Marquise Noel, who's a five foot eight guard. Uh, if everything's going to run through him, then I think the Wildcats might be in some trouble. Uh, might be a long year in Manhattan uh, for Jerome Tang in his first season. Yeah, I. That is a true rebuild from yeah. from the, the ground up. So I, yeah, it's hard to one of those teams, kind of like with Iowa State last year, a little bit where you probably just have no idea what to expect out of them. So you'll expect very little. 
who knows, maybe they'll be the darling of the big 12, the way Iowa state was last year. But uh, it, at this point in time, that's not where I'm putting my hundred dollars. No. The, they'll be picked unanimously to finish last in the league. I think just like Iowa state was last year. All right. So that's my rankings. Uh, ran through the big 12. You've been watching the NBA finals. A little bit. I haven't watched the, I mean, I've watched some, but not uh, like beginning to end or anything like that, but I did yeah. see uh, not Oklahoma state, but um, the golden, golden state, state Warriors yeah. got a big uh, game five win last night. And I think that's kind of a cool story. Like everything they've been through clay Thompson. And, you know, I think we all thought that they were probably done as far as being a championship contender. And, you know, now they're within in one, within one game of, of pulling it out. So I, I would be happy for that group. Cause they're, I think they've actually kind of revolutionized the NBA in the last 10 years with the way that the splash brothers play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. It's been fun to see Andrew Wiggins finally like live up to the potential that everybody thought that he had. Uh, and I love that even as good as Steph has been in these finals, like he, if they won game six, he would obviously be the MVP, but Andrew Wiggins like has a sneaky good in finals MVP. And it's like, that's the one thing that Steph's never won. And it would be funny if Andrew Wiggins all of a sudden won the finals MVP and Steph still couldn't get the finals MVP, even though he scored 40 in one of the games. Like that would just be, I don't know. That would just make me laugh. He's a really, that's a really interesting like case in my opinion of a guy who obviously former number one pick tons of talent played it, you know, Minnesota. And you know, you would see like he would put up numbers, but you know, never played in a winning culture, never played for any good teams and goes out there isn't really asked to focus on creating offense, but it, it, to do a lot of other intangible things, guarding, and then gets to be a you know second or third option on most plays and just kind of takes off. And it's always interesting sometimes when guys are put where it's like, Hey, you don't have to worry about offense anymore. Like don't worry about being the guy that creates all the shots. And as a second or third option, he just becomes a, an NBA all-star mm. who has a more well-rounded game and, and probably plays in a much, you know, I know Minnesota had a nice year last year, but I think Golden State's culture over the last 10 years is, you know, galaxies away from what Minnesota's has been. So it's just really interesting to me how all of those little factors can all of a sudden manifest this really talented player into a guy who is, you know, a legitimate NBA all-star. I think it just speaks to how important circumstance is. Yes. You know, as as much as talent, like it's being in the right position with the right people, that's more important than anything else. And when you get into that, you can really take off. You know, it just is like about finding the right role. All right. Anything else that's been on your radar of, of late that you uh want to want to dish on? No, um, kind of nice to, I don't know, go through the big 12 after all the fireworks of the transfer portal and it'll be really interesting to uh, to watch this all all play out with all this turnover. I think coaches are the responsibility of coaches and what's going to be asked of them now will be much different than it was when I played where you could build a program a little bit more of the slow and steady way. It's going to be a lot more who can mix and match and, and come up with different types of schemes on both ends of the floor to maximize the talent that they have and bring it together the best that I think will play a big, uh, big role in how next season shakes out. Absolutely. Like I said, we'll have another episode next week. We're going to have an interview lined up here later on in the week with uh, one of the Cyclones. So we'll be back uh, next week to talk some more hoops. Uh, for Scott Christofferson, I'm Jared Stansbury. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace.